0: You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light.
1: And I'm Austin Bain X. Bramble. And today we have a very special guest, author of Mexican Sorcery, A Practical Guide to Brujería de Rancho, um, Laura de Villa. Laura, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I have to say, I think the first time that I ever said, Laura, I want you to be on this podcast, was probably 2021. Um, And I'm so happy that you're here now. Because I've been also like kind of waiting for this moment for the book to be published. Um, and, And here we are. It's finally here. I am so happy to have you on, and I I feel like I say that with a lot of guests, like, oh, this has been a long time coming, and that's because sometimes it has been. Um, some, some of these people, I'm so thankful to be doing a season three, um, mm-hmm. because some of the people that we're having on this season, I've wanted to have on since, like, not even day one, like, before day one, so thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you, thanks, uh, thank you guys for inviting me. I'm I'm really honored and I'm very happy to be here.
0: I got your book. I loved it. Uh, I I thought it was it, it was one of those books that I felt came from a place of of personal experience. And there are a lot of times that I feel like sometimes I pick up a book and and I feel and I'm not. Pointing out anyone specific on this, but sometimes I feel like anyone could have written this. This is very much, rem- the author is very much removed um, um, from the information that is being presented in a very 101, you know, uh, uh, college extracur- extracurricular course sort of way. Nothing wrong with that when you're trying to get some basic information. But your book was so personal. It was so, um, it was so. It really felt like it was from your experience, your heart, your life, your family. You put your guts into this. And I felt like I got to know you better. And that was, that was, that is the type of book that speaks to me in a way that makes me feel like not only does it help me expand my knowledge of the craft, but it helps me understand what your worldview is, your perspective. Um, It was very meaningful. And I'm so grateful you put it out.
2: Yeah um one of the reasons why I wrote Mexican sorcery was because I started to see a lot of books especially on Mexican magic brujería curanderismo where people was writing them that like they, the these books were absolute truths you know or mm. they were the traditional ones the authentic ones and I was like well this is erasing a lot of people from mexico it may be traditional what you're saying in one area but that may not be traditional in another one so i always try to to put like a a very like practical even funny um example of brujeria or what is brujeria in mexico i always compare brujeria to pozole you know Mm have you eat pozole so a lot of people could think like pozole is red it has his it's hominy is made from pork meat but that will be the case if you visit certain parts of mexico but if you visit others you may have served a pozole that could be green that could be black could be white or the same red all of them are traditional and unique in their own ways, you know. Even though the green one doesn't have necessarily pork meat, but chicken meat, or the white one has like pancita meat, like the inside of the the, the cows, the stomach meat. That doesn't mean they're not pozoles. Mm-hmm. Another like example that I like to mention with these pozoles is like all pozoles to be called pozole has hominy inside the hominy. If you take it off. You know, it's not pozole anymore. Um, it's a caldo. So that will be like the the, the little or some, um, you know, components of folk Catholicism. You can take it off of your practice. But once you take it off, this is not called brujería. This uh-huh. is called something else. And that's fine, but... Let me tell you that if you take it out, it's a, another practice that you're making. It's not something traditional, it's not something authentic, and it's not a pozole, it's a canto. So um just like I said, I try to bring all the practices that we have been doing in the last six centuries in the part northeastern region of Mexico. So people get more familiar with this th- this practice right you know um another thing that i was always seeing was the fact like every time like people was talking about mexican magic they were always you know trying to only like mix or you know the aztec or the nahua or the mexica side up to the practice when we have 68 Different indigenous heritages in Mexico. You know, we have the Yaquis, we, we have the Tlaxcaltecas, we have the Otomi, we have the Guachichil. We have 68, and we're erasing it because we're focusing just in one in one part of Mexico. So for me, it was like, okay, um, let me bring to the light that Mexico is not only this, but this these two and over that there too so that was my way to contribute to pass on this knowledge that is very like traditional and typical from this this part of mexico
1: yes it's like um uh my grandma's brujería is going to be different than your grandma's brujería like a like a casserole recipe or or well like you said pozole which i've actually had green pozole um
0: I was thinking of chili when you were talking about that because there's Texas chili with no beans, and then there's white bean chili, and then there's then there's chicken chili, and then you go over into a whole other area of the South, and they're going to add okra yeah. in there. I mean, like it's going to change based off of yeah. the culture that raised it. It's or very- like the
2: barbecue, like the barbecue here is very sweet, but if you go to North Carolina, it's very smoky.
0: Mm-hmm. You know with what I'm vinegar. saying? So yeah, vinegar yes.
2: So, but imagine having like somebody from over there in a Texan arguing that's not, that is not real or authentic, you know, like uh, barbecue when both are barbecue, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So for me, it was more about that, you know, um, to preserve, to share and say, hey, you know, your practice is valid. You know, um, my grandma may not have done the same things that your grandma used to do, but they're valid and they need we need to hear about that too. So um that yeah. that was my 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 contribution and my offering at the same time to a lot of spirits that bailed me out of a lot of situations in my life. For me it was an ofrenda mm-hmm. as well of you know, not only for my community And for the people who came before me, it was an ofrenda to my spirits. And a way to preserve this for my great-grandchildren one day. You know, um, there is, you know, a lot of need of these things right now because we really want to connect with our cultural heritage. And not a lot of people has the time or not a lot of people has the, the knowledge. So for me, it was a way to say thank you um and give some some purpose to my immigration journey too.
0: And you know, I think one of the, you you mentioned the word traditional earlier when people talk about like traditional Mexican magic or traditional, and I think one of the things that that word really trips people up a lot and I think this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before recording with our own individual ideas about what the definitions of words are. And I think people think the word traditional means the true tradition when that's not really its purpose here. Its purpose when talking about the word tradition is It's a singular tradition that is passed down or repeated. And we as families, as groups of people, as communities, create and then uh, repeat to pass down these traditions. And you may have one tradition over here that looks totally different from one tradition over here, and neither are truer than the other. And I, I know I've talked about traditional witchcraft and that word throws people off. And I even did a poll a while back when on Twitter and someone, when I asked what birds come to mind when you hear the word traditional witchcraft, a lot of mm-hmm. responses that I got was elitism. Um, people <laughs> that think they are better than everyone else. People well, I think... mean,
1: they're not wrong, but. I, well, I, I, th-
0: the point was I was very shocked because when I understood what tradition was supposed to mean in that sense, being removed from from recognizing that knowledge, you can get a really wrong idea about what people mean when they say the word tradition. So, I'm really glad you said that because it really points out the fact that um, all of these traditions are valid and they deserve a voice. And, and I'm, I'm really happy that you are that voice that spoke your tradition.
2: Especially in the Mexican-American community. In the Mexican community, a lot of people think tradition Equals to uniformity, like mm. everybody has a uniform, and that's not the case. Not well, we're
1: ta- we're talking about, I mean, if you think about it, and and we also have to think about, and I hope to the the audience listening, we can during the process of this interview, um, think about Mexico before it was designated as like this is Mexico and this mm-hmm. is the United that's States state. because uh-huh. because that's not how it was for a very long time and there's so much cultural mixing not even mixing just cultural things that were already there we're talking about regions of mexico that are 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 vast mexico is huge and and so and every where you must think about it like how how can something be so different from Florida to Texas or from Texas to North Carolina, talking about barbecue from mm-hmm. North Carolina to Kansas City? Um, all of these things have their own distinct, unique flavors, savers, and people and ways of doing things. And so when we're speaking on something, we're not speaking about the right way to do um, a particular thing. It's very... Um, Uh, American evangelists to be like, no, you have uh, the same myth, but they're contradictory. Yours ends differently than mine. One of them has to be right, and the other's wrong.
2: One of the things that is like, dude, like, is these people really understand how witchcraft relate to the land where we live? One of the, Mm. the reviews that I have in Amazon, it says like, I'm 65 years old, and I live the 51st the 50 year, first years of my life in mexico and i was pr- a practicing bruja in the state of chiapas in veracruz and i used to read the shells and the chamalongos and this book is nothing like i was doing and i'm like the shells we don't have an ocean or even a sea or anything in the place that i was why born would and you raised.
1: why would you have shells it's why... bruja de rancho not
2: exactly so i'm like Mija, I don't even think like my grandma was able or lucky enough to go to the to visit the sea, to the beach, you know, to have a beach day. How I'm going to teach you or how can you relate with me in that way of Amancia if I don't have a, a sea close to me? Even if I was in Texas, you know, I think we only have San Benito, La Isla del Padre. There is no more, but people like forgets the fact that that witchcraft is very very you know like i like to the ingredients and everything that we use because of the land where we live and there is no way like every every place in mexico can have it the same uniformity or the same ways when our ecosystems are super different from each other so um that's you know pretty much the same thing it's not like you're wrong or i'm right it's just like we work with different materials we work with different ecosystems and that's why for me it was very important that every single you know um ingredient that i was mentioning in the book was something that you already had in your body or you could have in your pantry even if you're not in mexico or even if you're not in the united states Mm -hmm. so because we complain a lot of capitalism and these huge you know a- aesthetics you know witchcraft and we keep bringing these in books you know what i'm saying so
1: mm-hmm. something that you mentioned um was um, the idiosyncrasy idiosyncraticism of of witchcraft practitioners I was wondering if you could share with us more about you growing up where you grew up, what part of Mexico you grew up for so many people who haven't been to Mexico um, and and sometimes just our our bad perception of of Mexico in the United States it's always that you know the the yellow filter on the movies, the yellow, Colored screen when they're doing anything From Mexico or a lot of people Always think about Cancun or Baja and that's it yeah exactly So can you tell us more (laughs) about Your growing up and where you grew up And um, what your background Looked like
2: okay Nuevo Leon is a state That is very diverse like When You are born and Raised in Nuevo Leon you have everything Like you have every side of the coin, because we have Monterrey that is a very prosperous and industrial city, but we have these, like the Metroplex, like we will have here where it's a lot of ranchos. Like you only have to drive like 40 minutes, 50 minutes and you're in one rancho, and another tour and you're another one. So pretty much the city there is only Monterrey and San Pedro. San Pedro is considered today the richest city in the whole America Latina. Even if you go to Colombia or other places of Mexico, like San Pedro is a place where people have money. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have this this like super high end part of the state and at the same times you have the ranchos. Even if people with very like old money at some point belong, belong to these ranchos because they were always working. So that's why one of the, the reasons why brujería de rancho is very practical because, you know, we're actually ranchers at some points where they used to be up at 40 a.m. in the morning, you know, like milking the cows and always working. So everything is very hand, hands-on and at the same time fast. And, you know, we don't have, like, the time for a lot of, like, ritual. It's more like... Making relationships with these spirits that we are, you know, um, familiar with or we are devoted to. That's you know, that's pretty much what it is over there. Um, the The ecosystem, just like I said, <laughs> is very deserty. Even if you have a lot of mountains, which is Monterrey is called the the city of the mountains. These mountains are very like Arizona mountains, very like desertic so what we don't have in ingredients or in flora and fauna we have we compensated in with creativity so that's why you know it was so easy for me like to present a book where we make a lot out of nothing because that's the spirit of of the people living in this place
0: now i'm curious uh Your book, of Mexican Sorcery, talks about brujería de rancho. What makes brujería de rancho uh, unique or what defines it specifically from other types of Mexican sorcery?
2: Okay. Um, Mexican sorcery uh, or what we call brujería de rancho Mm -hmm. is a mix of a lot of practices together. You know, what, you know, you know, we have the academics and the scholars defining practice by practice, but we take a lot of elements of different practices together and we use it because, you know, that's another thing that I found, you know, often here with people writing books about Mexican brujería is they were only focusing on the healing part or only about the witchcraft part where, you know, and I think like specifically like Brujería de Rancho has all these components, you know, together is not one single thing. It's a lot of practices that are combined to the benefit of the client or, or families or, or community.
1: I wonder, I mean, Brujería carries and really, and I know I've expressed this on our show before, but when you. When you get outside of the United States of America and you actually go explore other cultures, the word witch carries a weight to it that is not, um, that's not the same in America. Um, Mm -hmm. Here in America, we have, you know, Bruja might get on take on a, um something that's not as serious um which takes something on that's not as serious where in a lot of other places this is a term that is highly politicized it's very it's it, it's accusatory like it's a, a, you know you might and it, it might have changed now um you know people taking on that word which as as a way to um gain clientele, there's still something about that where it's like, you might not want to trust them. Could you speak more on that?
2: Well, I think like it's happening too in Mexico where the word bruja is not like it used to be 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, Now, like today in 2023, like we call bruja to any person who, you know, does magic. Not necessarily like, um, you know, with for defense or for anything. Or uh, does like astrology or read um, the cards or the pendulum. You know, we're like adopting the same thing over there that we have here. Like the word Bruja right now can have a lot of meanings. But 20, 25 years ago when when I started to do it this, you know, more seriously it wasn't the case you know but today i think it's very like we throw the word very loosely just like we do it here and you know and and it's funny because this started to happen because even books like this one like you see what it says yeah is mm-hmm. you know even a wicca uh book we're calling it brujeria in mexico but people doesn't realize that when i talk you know hey i think it was with marshall one time hey i have read the raymond bookland and silver Ravenwolf raven wolf and peter stone books pretty much at the same time that you were reading it them but in another language people is like does that came out? Yes, we had the same books but were translated to Spanish. And in the parts where it was said witchcraft, we just read it as brujeria. So today even we have covens in Mexico of wicked witches. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh and people think it's only like, oh, this is an American thing, or only happened it like in England. But we we had the same influences over there too. Of course, you know, people, you know, accepted these influences more easily because they had like the rule of three and it wasn't it was more cool, you know, but Brujas like my grandmother still existed and they believe in another thing. But I feel like a lot of Mexican Americans in Americas doesn't understand like Mexico is part of a globalized world, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, it's not excluded from that. Mm-hmm.
2: no it's not and you know just like I said the the same books that you guys were having 20 years ago we were having them too but in our language so everybody started like taking parts of what they like it and what they not and started to defining their own concepts of what a bruja meant even though like I'm more like into the concept that we used 100 or 15 years ago because I have a lineage that is not the case for a lot of brujas in mexico that today mm-hmm. into 20 to uh, 2023 like practice differently and more alike to a lot of americans
0: mm-hmm. it's- i'm curious this one isn't on the brief um but i'm just wondering uh you mentioned about your your grandma uh being a bruja at the time you know so many years ago did you ever notice or did she experience ostracization or isolation because of owning that identity? Yes. She yes. did? Yes, okay. she
2: did a lot. But at the same time, it was respect. I mean, just like I, I've tried to explain plain in my book, not everything is bad, not everything is good. Everything mm-hmm. comes with pros and cons. Mm-hmm. So, yes, she, she, she suffered from exclusion and from... You know, bad judgment of people, but at the same time, she was very respected and she was feared. So that helped Even us better. in some ways too. <laughs> yeah. She used to say, Con miedo que te tengan, mijita. if they fear you, sometimes that's enough for you to not to have to do anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, she, she lived that. But, you know, you learn. It took me a lot of time to learn because. I was very young when I was already dealing with, you know, she's the granddaughter of, she's the daughter of, you know, she's the great-granddaughter of. And everything that has happened bad in my life is because she's doing something to me and sometimes I was like, but and I even mentioned it in the beginning of, my, of the book, like, I didn't want to be like the bad one in the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the, the witch, you know? But at the end you just realize that there is a place for people like us in this world and we need it Uh and and we start like honoring you know ourselves and why we came to this world to do so i think that changed a lot of my ways when i came here to the united states and i had no option you know Uh so you learn that's why I, i i always feel like I always like to listen to people who is older than I am. Not like people, like younger people doesn't have anything to, all of us have something to share. But when I, I try to focus more, what like somebody older than I am has to say about the craft because they have seen more things that I have for sure.
1: Absolutely. The, the witch has a role in the community, even if the community doesn't like her for it. Um, there There is still a communal role there. And I think when, in like I was saying about other cultures outside of the United States, and obviously this is changing in Mexico too, but in some places there is still like a Oh well, the priest might not be able to help you, so maybe you go to the healer. And if the healer can't help you, then maybe you have to go to the witch. And maybe that's not something you really want to do, but like you need something done bad enough. Like, and then we see this also too with, uh, you know, in Mexico, it the attitude is a little different. I mean, there's you know the witch market, um, and yes, uh, which. I'm sure anybody can have an opinion on. Is it, uh, are there scammers there? Maybe, but also yeah, are absolutely. there p- are there genuine people there? Maybe, you know, but it still doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and that people go to it to go buy readings or amares or whatever. And I, I this isn't on the brief either, but I was wondering if you have ever been to the witch market and if you could tell our listeners what, they, what that oh, yeah. is, if, well, if, my if
2: they've never heard of it. My grandma used to have a um, a local in the mercado for five years, you know, like she used to have it there and then she was like, no, I don't think I like it because I don't like to be surrounded with a lot of brujas you know and I, I, I the stories that she used to tell me reminds me a lot of what we have right now in social media like bruja like witch words yeah. And she was like no nah, i don't like it so she just moved because you know you realize that it's a it's not even like bruja no bruja it's just like this competitiveness like it's in the part of human nature mm-hmm. you know it's people with that is very insecure that is people that is very like oh i don't care if, if i don't make money with this or if i don't get to have a personal satisfaction as long as you don't have it <laughs> you know so it's, it's just like pretty much that's why she didn't continue in that place but yeah she was there for five years and you see a lot of things that you know you like and other ones that you don't like
1: social media i I think i don't think it really changed how people behaved i think it just made it more accessible for people to behave however they wanted to um because people were always doing this i mean the witch wars the drama go ahead marshall
0: (laughs) oh i was just gonna say i i remember just getting into online witch spaces and communities and i remember seeing all these people who were getting on being like i think i've been hexed someone help me what do i do and i'm always like literally the likelihood that someone in your life is also a witch that you don't know is so 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 low i guarantee you, you most likely aren't hexed until i got into a witch community and all of a sudden, I am not in person, but online. I am surrounded by people who have That's access insane. to my face, my photo. I don't give out my birthday. I don't give out um, this the place in Texas where I live. I don't even want people to know my exact age. There are certain things that I don't want people to have access to because, um, yeah, I don't want other witches to have that immediate uh, ability. I have words all over, speci- well, some words, specific. Specifically, for internet purposes, for my face, for my picture, um, there are certain things that I have done just because I am in that community now. And there are people who disagree with me vehemently on things who will be happy to print out a picture of me on their home printer and do something oh, yeah. with it. Oh, yeah. I think absolutely. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I
1: experienced the same thing, too, when I first came online. I was like, well, I mean, it's probably not people trying to get you especially like reading for clients and things like that and then now one of the first thing I ask is how many practitioners of magic do you know also um and and uh that's something too it's it's like you have then suddenly it starts to become a little bit oh I have to be more careful um with my life (laughs) Uh, especially on on online spaces because I I don't think for anyone who's ever been worried about this the witchcraft community is not necessarily known for being the most mentally stable the most (laughs) mentally healthy the most emotionally mature um so you really think that a, a a group of of people who for the most part know each other even though we're clicky a lot of people know everybody um and and you you don't think that people aren't out here trigger happy trying to trying to es- get at you.
0: Especially the TikTok girlies. Especially the TikTok girlies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's just like, I mean, for me it's funny because I mean I'm I'm almost 40. I grew up on these and and people sometimes tell me like, hey, I, you're not afraid to show your face or In the face of your children. And I'm like, dude, when I came to this world my grandma already knew what I was going to do, and she pretty knew she knew what my sons were going to do. And there is proofs about it where she she has like a she had like a book of angels and like sea hills and everything, and she put the the picture of my son when he was a baby with a sailor, uh, like um, like a tuxedo, like a something. And she put like a sigil and saying like, you know, like um army of angels, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, you know, now he's a sailor and why she use exactly that picture and she didn't use another one. You know, when a lot, when you have a lineage, you know, Mexico is very Catholic in nature, but when you, are part of these folk practices, you don't get baptized in the same way. You know, grandmas have like already like private the altar voice where they don't even use the catachumens uh baptism oil they use the ones that they use for mm-hmm. ordering ordering like priests so they just exchange it because they know what work w- we're going to be doing so pretty much instead of being baptized with that i got baptized like i was a fucking priest uh-huh. so they did this special like oil for ordering hike rank um clerical mm-hmm. not to like baptist babies and that's you know, what a lot of brujas does when you are born in a family of brujas because they know, you know, people go after what you love. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm like, dude, good luck with me. (laughs) You know, you know, you know, it's not the case when somebody, I'm not going to say the name of the author, you just remember you were a witch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I you just I, remember I, that you were one and because you were a woman with a vagina and a womb, you, you're a witch, right? Mm-hmm,
0: so mm-hmm. we
2: we were actually, you know, born that way and wear a lot of like rights that, you know, protect us against these witch wards. That's why I'm like, eh, good luck. But, you know, it is 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 concerning because there is something that I tell people Often, like, dude, not everybody who looks at you funny is your enemy. Mm-hmm. You're throwing that that word very loose, and if somebody has a different opinion on your life or how do you live it, just let it be. Whatever. This is America. You have no idea how awesome it is to be here when you're in a country like mine and you're a woman, or mm-hmm. you know, or you're in, a, you know, like in these countries where they have a lot of things that we do that they're like illegal. So enjoy that piece of freedom if you want to call it and just let it go, you know, unless it's transphobic, homophobic or, you know, something really important mm-hmm. is just like why we were going to be like spending that energy that is not, is it is it, it, limitless. We don't have it like to give away for stupid shit instead of, you know, taking care of the things that matters.
0: Absolutely.
1: I wanted to discuss um, your book because I think what we were talking about, the idea of... um, I don't want to say dilution of the word bruja because that doesn't sound fair, but I do think that the attitude towards the word is changing and your book definitely holds on to something that's more traditional, um, especially when we talk about Brujería de Rancho. And in your book, you definitely don't shy away from taking... that that The the word bruja and what that means is like not necessarily always a good thing. I mean, you absolutely have things to um, heal and protect, but you also have things to harm and to curse. And one of my most uh, favorite things in... Brujería is a uh, salado um and to salt somebody. um and I wanted to know if you could talk about the different kinds mm. of salt you go into them in your book, um a sal de siete cantinas or the salt of seven canteens, also the um sal de lacrima or the the salt of tears yeah-huh. And And then widow one, and yes, and and then the uh, salt de la vida, uh, or widow salt, which is uh, it's it's fabulous, and all these things kind of carry a different virtue to them. Yeah, and I was wondering if you could talk to us about that because it's not nice.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, asalación, being salted or salado, is a like very like um very iconic trabajo like working on Mexican brujería doesn't matter where part of Mexico you come from you know um, because that's like a way to take away from somebody or from a household or even a business or all their blessings their material ones and the spiritual ones you know like when somebody is salado there is like this mental and like health and like financial and moral very like uncomfortable states like where you you get like unemployed you get like your your partner just like you know abandon you like everything goes wrong like if you take you know like oh let me go everything is shitty let me take a uh like a trip in my car the car is broke like everything bad is going to happen to you for this kind of work we use mainly uh like salt as a mean ingredient. That's the tricky thing. And that's something that I like to talk up ab- to talk about because some people say, like, why do we use salt as a mean ingredient? Well, depending in the part of Mexico, you're taking into the consideration to give it this, uh, trabajo a context. For example, like among the Mesoamerican people, they used to think like when the salt evaporated, it was like a bad omen, but in the place that I was born and raised, um, the Chichimecas used to think like the salt was the excrement of the gods and all like the th- they used to like eat uh, or I, I don't want to call it sins, but or faults and just excrete them. And so we use salt and we use, you know, all the faults of others and use in these trabajos as a main ingredients. To make this person like unstable, to make it unemployable, to make it you know bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So, in in these practices at the same time, combined with a lot of like uh, colonizing inheritages, um, like in the Jewish side, you know when they immigrated to this part of Mexico, and they used to think like a lot of us like salt clean places. Because what is the thing with the salt when you clean places? Like every time you go to a canteen, a cantina, a bar, there is a lot of like, like drunk, drunk tarts fights. The salt is going to absorb that. A lot of like histories, stories of sorrow, of cheating, of pain that these salts are absorbing. So you combine these salts. With other ingredients, and you make a, a salación. For example, in the salt of the viuda, the, the widow salt, this salt usually has a lot of like contact with a bitter, a uh, really bitter and sad person who lost her husband. So you use it, and you cause the same to another person. Or the lágrimas one, when when we cry, we we we're in these liquids. We have a lot of salt, and usually when the, these tears are because of your math or you're very frustrated, or you're very sad. These tears, besides of carrying salt, carry these feelings, these energies too. Mm-hmm.
1: I believe um, it was Alexis um, uh sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Journey uh, to uh, um, who asked the other day, like, why salt, like, why do we use salt? Why is this so important? Um, and well, I actually didn't get the, the answer, but
2: <laughs> Well, the thing with them is They're very specific in one Area, mm-hmm. and they want to make it Very traditional, and that's what it is And that is, no, for me it's like Yeah, that's in that area But if you go to this area, it's this If you go to this area, it's that If you go to that area, is that So Just like I said, like Among Mesoamericans Is, you know, the salt when it used to evaporate from places, it was a bad omen. And among Chichimecas, what is the like northeastern region, more like to the Texas side, my side is because the gods, you know, used to eat or false and, or like malice and all the things that they were negative and, ex- you know, like poop them. And 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 out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what they thought was salt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one answer is not like would be wouldn't be the the answer for every mexican or every mexican bruja but you know especially where i come from too it is believed like the salt clean places but when you're cleaning with salt you can use the salt that is already dirt dirty mm-hmm. to you know to mess somebody else life yeah a lot of people was complaining well, not a lot. Like a couple haters were complaining mm-hmm. haters. haters about like I had like, you know, lots of storytelling on my book.
0: Uh, I and loved for it. me
2: it's like it's like that's how I learn. That's how we learn folklore. There is no folk witches without folklore. This is folklore. I needed to add songs. I needed to add storytelling. I needed I wanted to even add movies to what I was saying. So it was like edited but every time somebody's like oh my god i love that story oh okay i heard this song. well watch this movie so for me it was very important because uh i think it was mara one time saying that sometimes people talks about like welsh folklore and when they talk about welsh folklore and certain like deities and certain like there is nothing that backs up that, those stories. And I, I saw that a lot in Mexican magic books. And I wanted my book to be like, oh, I want to learn more from this. Oh, I can go back and there is a lot of where I can keep going on this topic that I really like, and at this, you know, and it has like the pros and the cons. Is like every time I receive some kind of praise about my book, is like then I cannot receive the praise because I didn't invent any of these. If you notice in my book, this is like this, this ritual has centuries working. It's not like my grandma did it or my great grandma did it, it ha- back to many generations ago. Same thing with El Charro Negro. You know, it's part of our folklore. I didn't invent the Charro Negro. I didn't invent uh, the Sorceress of La Petaca. There is songs, there is, you know, even Mexican movies about it, you know. Um, the, I, I always tell them, it, even the Diablito and the San Miguelito, that's not my story. It's the story of all of us. The only original story there that, that really happened to me and Don Beto really exists is the one that I got lost in the cemetery. Other than that, it's very box popularly, like you know, very folkloric, very like everybody know well, no everybody over there knows those stories. So that, that was something that I were wa- I was really very like um focus on portrait like things like people could like grab other books listening to songs watching movies and a lot this is she didn't make it up yesterday Mm -hmm. you know this this is tradition this is folklore
0: one of the things that I really loved when reading your book was that with each chapter, you had these quotes, some of them from other previous authors or people that inspired certain certain aspects. And one of them I I, I was reading, and it seemed to hint familiar, and then I saw the end, the credit to the quote, and I realized I'd already read that book. I had read Bless Me Ultima when I was a young teenager. I'd recommend anyone go out there and get this book, Bless Me Ultima. It's a wonderful depiction. I'm sure I'm not saying it with the the, the best way. Oh, but- I me some. It's a wonderful depiction of animism. It's a great way of seeing a traditional family with magic interwoven in their lives by by, by a relative. It was was one of those things that when I was learning and getting obsessed with witchcraft as a young, young teen and being exposed to books like uh, uh, Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft and Silver Ravenwolf, that was a complete departure from anything I had read about modern witchcraft. And it was... It was something so different, and and it was my first exposure exposure to to, um, uh, brujeria and and Mexican and Mexican sorcery, and mm-hmm. it was just such a beautiful story. I'd recommend anyone read that book.
2: Yeah, so that was that's another thing. Like I tried to add to, like I added another quote by, uh, Laura Esquivel, which is uh, like Water for Chocolate. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful movie and book too. That is like every mexican know, which from the kitchen should watch that movie to understand the you know the suffering of the woman in general you know and what us you know mexicans or mexicans americans or abuelas and ortillas put up with you know um so yeah uh i try to to make it what it is i think brujeria de rancho is a very animistic practice that has a lot of like elements of folk catholicism but at the same time it could be like even followed for pagans you know by pagans because i don't think it's something that makes you be christian and like kiss the the hand of the pope you know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. hopefully people understand you know the context where we're mixing religion but at the same time like taking the dogma and the oppression out of the equation
1: i it makes me think a lot of um we talked about you can't separate the story the food the dance the song the movies Um, the art from the culture and so I think what your book does is actually illustrates folklore and and personal experience and I think that is where the magic is and I think uh, the unfortunate part about the modern witchcraft in a broader spectrum and I think the conversation is changing so I'm not trying to be pointing any fingers, but I think a lot of the times we get so hyper-focused on the magic side of it that we forget that, well, this comes from a song. This comes from a dance. This comes from a story. This might be portrayed in a movie. Um, and, And sometimes it might not even look magical to the person who's looking at it. Sometimes it might look very small, uh, mundane even, and yet, Mm -hmm. it carries so much with it. Um, The song that you would sing while braiding rope, the song you sing while milking the cow, the song that you sing while spinning thread, or cooking, or making a certain food that's been in your family for generations, you know, this is, it's all a part of it. It's all, it's all not necessarily witchcraft, but it's all magical. And I I, yes, I was wondering, you're wearing a very special necklace today. Can you talk about um, the tijeras uh, or the scissors in your book? And you you give uh, a ritual to consecrate the scissors.
2: Yes. And um, I,
1: <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us about how you describe it as, as the good scissors and why those are so important.
2: Okay. So I added the, the scissors because they're iconic in Mexican magic. Be- but at the same time, I felt like everybody in Mexican books of brujería were mentioning them. But they were not giving them the historical context or even justice. So it was like, okay, let me let me explain not only why why you have to do it because it was more like, oh, if you open the scissors like this and you hang them it's going to protect you against witches, right? But it was some it, it is something behind that symbol, you know of tradition and what is it? And I think like, A lot of us as Mexicans, Mexican-Americans are so drawn to the Caesars because it's the perfect talisman for that represent our ancestry, you know, the two sides of our ancestry, the, the native one and the colonizer one. Because even if, you know, as Mexicans, we have a lot, you know. Uh, of both, and this practice was something that started with our first Mexicans that they used to believe that by cutting the this part of the 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 hair in the head, in the fontanel, not only to witches but to warriors, it used to make them weak and to the point that they end up dying. And it's funny because, you know, we have this these, these same stories with Sansoni Dalila. You know, that our strength or spirit yeah. or is on our hair. Right. Hmm? So during these these prehispanic times they used to <laughs> they used to cut this part of the hair. And sometimes it was just to debilitate the the enemy, and sometimes even some wear- warriors used to use that hair to increment, to increase their own tonality, that mm-hmm. like beetle, beetle strength. So they used to put on top of that another mm-hmm. warrior's hair to make themselves stronger. So
0: you're stealing their powers.
2: Was, <laughs> yeah. It was said that when Mescopinki used to like show off. On somebody else's door, they already had like a obsidian blade, sometimes on like a hikara filled with water, like a bowl with water. And once the the memesco pinky saw herself reflected in the water and saw this blade, she used to like just run, you know, like terrorized, knowing what was going to happen so when the spanish came they, they they wanted to extend these practices but at the same time they were writing them on which was like it doesn't make sense and they starting to adopt the same practice but instead of using the jicara with the water they exchange it for a mirror uh-huh. and instead of being the obsidian blade they were using the scissors you know like uh open on like cross shape so and I, I mentioned i know you will be wondering but if we're witches if we're like sorcerers why are we using something that takes away or magic or of power and i'm like you know like just like everywhere is in the everywhere in the world not every witches have the same endeavors some of them are very like socially accepted like healing and protection and empowering other people some of them are very sinister so sometimes it's not like you're the witch is sinister it's just like it's going out after the things that you pressure like like likes or love in your life like your husband you know your boyfriend your job position your title so that's it time where you could use your scissors as a talisman or in your workings and then i go more in deep where like you know like the iron is very um very martial material you know and i go on and on with the whole like ritual pretty much uh very loaded on both you know, very loaded in both rights. The one that, you know, the Iberian witches had for this practice and the one that the indigenous one had for this belief, which is, was to consecrate this blade in the dark moon. So, you know, its it, I think it's one of the favorite things that I, like everybody has liked the most in the book.
0: It inspired me. I I'm I'm ordering some of my own. I actually, for listeners, I talked privately um before this because I wanted, I was so inspired by this, this uh using of of shears and scissors within the practice. I use scissors to cut thread and certain things all the time. Why not actually have a consecrated spiritual pair of shears specifically and solely for my mm-hmm. practice? I love this. This is and now that I know you know the story behind it from your book, so much more it makes so much more sense. I understand the historical context because that's important, knowing that context. Yeah.
2: and the other thing is like, I even cited, you know, where this uh, practice was first documented that was in in this book of this uh, prayer, I don't know how to say it, like a priest in 1656, you know, it's not something that I made up. Or my grandma, it was just documented and I put the page and I, you know, because okay. something that I didn't like about a lot of like magical books in general, I'm not only talking about. like there is no citations, there are no quotations, there is like, where are you getting this info from? Mm-hmm. So I try to, I mean, I'm not an academic, I'm not a, a scholar, but at least I wanted to give it a little bit of like seriousness to to this, this working, so so hopefully people find it you know so far everybody has liked it everybody has like hey you know i really i really remember now this or i remember the other thing that it really made sense or you know i i i I feel so blessed that i have i have had a really good response from people it's just like minimal and just like you know uh austin said like people who is not like really happy were people who were not happy way before my book was, you know, out because I'm very loud in certain topics. And I think I'm very like so and that can sometimes create a little bit of friction. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, anybody who would like to have like a combo about, you know, what I think or why I put this or that, you know, I there is something to back what I said, you know, Mm -hmm. in every chapter.
0: Speaking of things you put in your book, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about the amaras? Am I saying that correctly? Amaras. Amares. Yeah, amares.
2: Amares. I would well, love to amar- know
0: more about these. That,
2: that's another one that was like, I know the word amares has reached the United States in a lot of like parts in Latin America as love spell. But in Mexico, this has a context that I, I, this is a word. this is a working, this is something that is very rooted in history. You know, when, when, when um, the John Mexica couples used to marry in bef- pre-Hispanic times, uh, pre-Columbia times, they used to have their ceremonies just like we do today, right? And in that time, you know, it is funny because they have a ritual that is very alike of what we have as Mexicans today. This ritual used to and is still in certain communities to consist on tie the the tilma and the weepil together, and by that act they they got married, right? So when the Spaniards came here, they didn't have that practice for the marriage ceremony. Because among the Celtics, the Celtics had the same practice and they want to extinguish it because it was very pagany. Mm. But they couldn't extinguish that, you know, for Mexican people. And they were like, oh, we have to go back to this again. <laughs> so now, <laughs> you know, Mexicans have, as part of the Catholic, the Roman Catholic ritual marriage, these lassos that is like a rope sometimes it's like flowers like uh, orange blossoms or sometimes it's like gold when you have a lot of money and it's like a knot in the middle and like you put it on top of the you know like in the shoulders of the bride and the groom
1: like a circle
2: Uh, uh uh-huh like a circle that is like with a knot um so pretty much an amarre is a sympathetic or invitation magic of this marriage ceremony where you want the outcome to be like, okay, I'm tied now to this person. Mm-hmm. Like, if we were married, because that's the outcome that I want. So, and it's funny because, you know, like, there is a lot of books that say, oh, amarre means like a spell of love. Yeah, but it's like 20 spells of love in the Mexican sense. You can have, you can have like endulzamientos, you can have retornos, like returns. You can have amares. You can have uh, amarrado y claveteado that is something else, you know. That's why I wanted, like, every single, you know, like, spell or working on the book has history behind. Because for me, it was important to preserve this in the right way. Even though I clarify this way or what I'm explaining to you could apply to the whole, like, Mexican sense of brujería or only to the, the part... But I was born and raised, you know, I didn't want to exclude anybody, but at the same time, I wanted to leave very clear why, the whys of the practice that we were doing.
1: There absolutely is so many different ways to go about doing, you know this this magic, these trabajos. And with what you describe in your book, I mean, or what you just described now, there's, you know, of course, the returns like to bring somebody back who's who's straying um and you know what a lot of the times it can look sinister it can look um also just like uh magic in other cultures there's you know the the kind of love that is sweet and and will blossom something that's a little gentler and then of course you know there's taking a muñeco, uh, muñeco out to a cave and and hollowing it out with you know a spoon and filling it up with blood and sex fluid and sealing it back up and burying them upside down and you know saying he got, like he You're just go-. got
2: super excited <laughs> <laughs> he's just like you were enjoying that
0: uh i was, I was
2: like,
1: yeah oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah and it's very like you will you will Crave me, you will love me. You know, um, and it's just amazing to me. It was not a question. It's just amazing to me how how this magic is beautiful because it kind of it looks different everywhere, but it all also kind of looks the same at the same time. And yeah, I guess it's just the the magic of of symbols or, or the language of symbols.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, the human yeah, it- experience is similar. The human experience is going to be – not not everyone's experience is the same, but the human experience will be the same for a lot of people. So the things that kind of grow – out of this experience and grow out of this experience from across the world might end up doing similar looking actions. I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that is, like you said, so beautiful about magical practitioners in a community with individualized workings. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's uh, another thing that I used to be like, to be really honest, and I'm open my whole heart on this. When I came here to the community was, because i really wanted to have community because as a child who grow who grew up like i did it was very hard because we were moving constantly because my parents were merchants, and at the same time you know when i was in my hometown you know my grandma was who it was and then I wasn't able to really share my practices openly because I immigrated here and I I, I used to, I live here in the United States seven, seven years undocumented. So by sharing my practices in the internet, somehow it was like jeopardize my path to citizenship, to jeopardize my kids' path to citizenship because you never know who is going to be the official who's going to be checking your case, like spying on your social media. I didn't know if I was going to have a so highly conservative person who was going to be. Oh, you have ties with La Santa Muerte. That means that you are an arca. You're mm-hmm. a narco. You, you have, you know, you've you openly talked
1: about that, like how if people are trying to immigrate and they have a tattoo, like but that can who? that can ruin your yeah. chances of getting. Oh,
2: yeah. Status. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like certain numbers, like for us as witches, like there is magical numbers like the sevens, the 13s, and you have a 13, they automatically assume that you are part of the MS-13. Even if you're not part of a gang, or you don't even know about the existence of that gang, they assume like because of you have like this tattoo of this deity or saint, even saints like saint Jude or Numbers, it can jeopardize your path to citizenship so mm-hmm. for a long time i just like you know was something that i i kept you know among my community but not like openly in social media media because of the reason and then it was like oh my god now i can talk about this because i'm free for me it was to um you know a way of You know make community and you know meet people and not feel so lonely you know to have people who have things in common with me and um you know uh it's hard because even though like there is a lot of people who have who has things in common with me there is people who see the world totally different than i do so you know it was like very hard to try to, at the beginning, it was a point like I didn't care anymore to not step on anybody's feet. And I think I did because at the end I had no, no way around. And I remember that I talked with several practitioners that they were like, oh, but I already talk about that in my book. And I was like, now I'm going to talk about what? Like, but I was like, you know, now what I do until I had a, a talk with Jay Allen Cross and he's like, you know what, write whatever you want because at the end of the day, you're the one who comes from there and you have your own experience. And I didn't know how to how to do this without, just like I said, bother somebody or like make somebody feel like, oh, I know more than you or even if you're making the same witchcraft book even if you're talking about the same topic all of us have this spiritual fingerprint that just like you know singers that are singing a cover totally sound different and provoke different feelings about talking or singing the same song so that helped me to you know this is the way that Daphne lechisera and northern people in mexico does these that not necessarily is going to sound the same of somebody who's mexican-american or somebody who is you know from chiapas so i think that was one of the things that cost me more when i that when i got here i really want to make friends i really want to make community and i know like by speaking some things it, I was pretty much like doing the opposite but I couldn't stay like quiet until I understand that you know even if it's the same song it's going to sound different for everybody
1: I was curious as a palate cleanser because we've been talking about so many um serious topics can we uh can you tell us a bit more about the um, poragito de la Abundancia. Um, yes. oh, I butchered that. Um, <laughs> uh, the lucky sheep, the lucky abundant sheep, because you do it every year and they're the cutest yeah. thing. And they're, yeah,
2: I have some of there. Um, For... so let me bring them. Just give me one second.
1: Go ahead. For those of you who, who um, uh, don't know, they are these cute little like sheep ornaments or representative of a sheep Um, and Daphne does them every year. She's bringing them out now Um, but they're so cute and they bring good luck.
2: So we have a really, really traditional costume over there that every year we gift each other lucky lamps, you know and we usually do that over Christmas because In northern Mexico, wood means lana, Uh right? And lana is a slang, a short slang for money. Uh So uh, during, you know, the times where uh, California and Arizona and all these states still belong to Mexico, we have a lot of wood production. But specifically from my area, the area where I, was, where I was, you know, born and raised, the the products that were made with this wood were like specially, you know, like high quality, and that brought a lot of lana or money to a region. So wood started to become like a like a symbol of wealthiness, like wealthy and good business. So that's why we. You know, gift each other these uh, lucky worms for the end of the years, a- and we keep them out for the whole month of January. And that's how I put all the story behind that practice. And
0: I love yeah. that uh, the the folk magic that comes from that that sympathetic uh, association. Like I think a lot of people. I feel like we're in a time period where a lot of people, when they need an herb for something, they look up an herbal book that says its type of description or virtue or what it corresponds with it. And then they'll build a spell based off of what that book tells them the virtue is. And a lot of times, I think when we take a step back and we look at the history behind a certain object, an herb, um, wool, uh, lentils, rice, because I actually want to ask you about that one, too, there is a story behind it. There's a reason it's associated with it. There's a reason these plants have this. There's a reason that this tree grows in this time period and it it caused this type of, of change in this city. So we started associating it with this concept. And you mentioned something um, in your book about rice and lentils being used in a lot of money magic. I, if I, I remember correctly, it was money Not- magic. It was, right?
2: Yes, yes. Yes. Is
0: there any story behind the rice and lentils by chance? Because well, re- I've never remember, heard that before.
2: Well, the thing is, remember that as Mexicans, and people want to forget this detail, mm-hmm. we're very mixed. Just like we're the the, the the descendants of, you know, a lot of like Mesoamericans and Chichimecans. We're the descendants of a lot of Roman people. hmm and they already brought those stories to Iberia, and you know, and they brought it to Mexico. So a lot of these associations come back to Roman times. It, it is funny because my husband is white, I'm Mexican, and he has these uh, ger- uh, German heritage, very strong. And every New Year he used to go with a pen and a spoon and make a lot of noise. So all the bad vibes and the bad spirits go away. And and I was like, we do the same thing for the same reason. But in El Rancho, we take the men, take their pistola, even here in Texas, and start like, boom, 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 for the bad spirits and the bad locks to go away. But th- those things back to the Roman. So people want to like, find like differences among us but we have a lot of things in common that Mm -hmm. I think that's the things that we should focus on so I I always tell everybody even the the rancho is so dangerous to for us to be doing that because we people in the ranchos have killed other people because of the loose um
1: the straight bullets uh,
2: yes exactly but what my husband does that's something that I'm doing because he has the same root so it's the same thing with the lentils. You will see that in a lot of Italian magic too for prosperity.
0: Okay. You know.
2: So um, remember that is a lot of herbs, a lot of seeds, a lot of um, a lot of grains that didn't exist in this side of the world. Mm-hmm. Just like other things like toma- tomato and chocolate. Now is like Switzerland chocolate, but it comes from here. Mm-hmm. The tomato of the Italian witches—it comes from Native America, and this like cherishes and and you know like uh, loans—that's what it makes everything so rich. Yes. So um, yeah, and I always try to instead of making something up, I I I am like very honest. Like this goes back to the Romans, you know, or this is very native from you know, from Mexico, or this is, you know, something that we borrow from this or that culture, because I think that what is make up to appreciate everything in a whole Mm -hmm. and understand that we're all of us borrowing something from someone else.
1: I think, too, that's a really good example of why, um, Again, to to get on my soapbox, that that magic isn't devoid of of the culture, especially like food and agriculture. Um, just as you said, tomatoes are Native American. Native American. They are Native American. When we think of tomato sauce, we think of Italian food, and it's like no, these are Native American things. When it's I, I'm doing a perfumery lecture um soon, and and I'm discussing. Um, Of course, when we think of perfume, a lot of the times we think of France, or sometimes Italy. but, But where is France getting their tobacco for perfume? They're getting it from America. Where are they getting their tuberose for perfume? They're getting it from Mexico. Perfume is native Mexican. Where are they getting their vanilla? They're getting it from Mexico. Like these things are inherently... Uh, like even even the word uh, or bone flower meaning tuberose right like tuberose the the name for tuberose is 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 bone flower in in mexican and and the idea that it's it's a plant of of the dead um and i don't know if that's true everywhere but you know it's so interesting and then it gets turned into this um thing that gets used for love and and romance but also be Because there's ghosts coming after you to torture you into loving somebody so there's a lot of things here and a lot of it it, yeah there's just a cultural exchange that I think is really interesting especially like you brought up chocolate and how when we think of chocolate and and expensive chocolate we think of like German chocolate or Belgian (laughs) chocolate and it's like no exactly
2: exactly Uh, but that doesn't only happen with our products. Happens with products over there that they came here, like the roux. Everybody's like, oh, my God, roux, you need roux for everything in Mexican magic. Uh-huh. Yeah, but where rue comes from? The roux was brought here, at least where, to the place where I was born and raised by the Jewish people, by the Sephardic Jewish. <laughs> the same as garlic. The garlic is Chinese, but they brought it to this side of Mexico, the spanish didn't really care about rue and garlic and things like that that's you know it was another group that came to the americas who were like very interested in certain things to come here because they were traveling with them because these things were important to them so that's you know that's what i like about magic and you know that all of us are using something that is like borrowed from someone else. That if somebody says like, oh, that's not true. I can make you like, even if I open your pantry, I'm going to find something that is not native to the place that you were born or raised. So
0: now one of the things that, so recently, I think we were actually talking on Twitter uh, last week and I had put up something about your book and someone commented saying, Oh mask and sorcery, where can I get it? And then you and 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 Jay Allen Crossett said something that it is it is Catholic. It is very Christian based. I'm I'm we actually haven't talked on this topic just yet but um i would like to have you speak a little bit more uh, because we're about to just bring up saints for our last question i thought before we dive into that you could mention and explain a little bit to our listeners about how integrated catholicism uh, is into mexican sorcery
2: well um of course we cannot put everything in the book because I was told that I could only put 55,000 words and I end up with 65,000 words.
0: Good for you. Good for you.
2: (laughs) But people need to understand, like, even though, like, they said, like, no, you know, Mexican government has always obligated the people to follow Catholicism. That's not the truth. Actually, it was a time in Mexico that we had pretty much five not only agnostic, but uh, Masonic uh, presidents that they were totally against Catholicism. You right. had a,
1: a spiritualist president at one point, didn't you? And he would consult a spiritualist. Yeah. To, uh, the night he would hold he, seances he, he, before he would make his policies.
2: Exactly. Es este Madero, Francisco Indalecio Madero was a, uh, era un espiritista. He used to bring these uh, French tables with people with all money and power and said, what is going to be your next political movement? So it it is said that, you know, spirits like were the ones who were governing Mexico for a lot of years. So when this happened, we had from 1910 to 1940, pretty much, Different revolutions and different wars. One of those wars was the Cristero War, where if you were a priest, if you were a nun or somebody who went to the church, you get because it was prohibited. And that happened in Texas too. So check that it was prohibited to practice Catholicism in Mexico. So several people. You know, went to war with this consignal Viva Cristo Rey. And a lot of them were fusillated, but instead of people congregating themselves in churches, they were congregating themselves in households. And people giving the blessing, the blessing were not men anymore, were women. Bring this spiritual practice and owning them because... It was more a way to disguise them when there was a woman giving mass instead of Mm. the priest. So this war was about last about 10 years or something like that. There is actually a movie. I'm going to share with you guys later um, that we had a lot of like martyrs and saints from that time because a lot of these were like killed because of their fate. And that's how, you know, I think a lot of like uh, Brujeria de Rancho beliefs, I can trace them specifically to this, you know, to this part, um, time period. So, um, yes, it has a lot of Catholicism, folk Catholicism. We believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, We believe in a dual world where the superior being, you can call it however you want and you feel comfortable, create everything, even the devil, even the angels, that everything has a soul, not only, you know, humans or people, even like seasons, even plants, even it has a lot of pagan points of view, if you want to call it that way, but a lot of Christians, or Christian points of view as well. Uh, we we work the two hands, the left and the right. And I, I remember this guy told me, yeah, but I have a lot of, you know, like, because my mom does ca- does give like um, catecismo. And I was like, I don't think we're even talking about the same thing because I don't think your mother teach somebody how to hunt themselves on Lent, you know, or how to make a pact with the devil inside of a church you know and he was like no i don't think we're talking about the same and i'm like yeah just give yourself (laughs) you know just give yourself the opportunity and if you say like oh this book is not for me you just return it or just give it away to somebody who may but just to close yourself because you know one word or one something i don't think you know it gives to makes any good to anybody, you know, and I think like every practice, I'm not only talking about brujeria de rancho, everything in life, there is certain aspect that you're going to take us out of our comfort zone or where we feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, if we wanna like to go more deep into something, sometimes we have to, you know, meet in the middle. And I think this is the perfect book where you're going to understand that you can be you can be both you can be catholic in a way that it doesn't tread your your inside you know like just like i said in 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 the book like you know we as Abrujos de rancho we're totally against you know the atrocities that the catholic church and the clerical has done not only in mexico but everywhere else in the world and you know, we believe in saints, and we believe in God, and we believe in Guadalupe and Mary, but we do believe in uh, equality rights. We we believe in quality marriage. Uh, we believe in the right of a woman to have a safe abortion. We believe in euthanasia if when somebody's suffering. You know, um, and I think I I made my my best to put it in a way where it was like, yeah, you, we have a lot of these, but if we you take off or take down the heretical component, we're practicing something else, you know? So I hope people understand like the concept because it's, it's very, very, very hard to put in words, especially for somebody whose first language is not English. <laughs> so I try to do my best.
0: I'll be honest, I've I've read a couple books where it includes a lot of uh, Christian and Cath and Catholic-based practices. And I'll tell you, for me personally, I grew up and, and experienced a lot of religious trauma in certain aspects. I'm gay, I I was very interested in witchcraft at a very young age. Books like yours actually, in, in my opinion, helped me process that trauma from a completely different perspective. Because when I see the thing that I I love witchcraft, okay. I love witchcraft. I think it's amazing bully for witchcraft. When I see witchcraft used and worked from a perspective that at one point was the thing that caused me trauma, I get to see it from a completely different light. I see it from a completely different viewpoint. And I can see how the thing that I thought that was only one way is not only that one way. And it allows me, in my opinion, to heal from some of that trauma. So... I would like to suggest for listeners out there who may have had some bad experiences within the church to think about this book, Mexican sorcery. To think about certain um, uh, books that include uh, Christian witchcraft or, or Christian folk magic, if you will, from a co- from a very different perspective and viewpoint. And even if you don't end up using any of it whatsoever, learn from these authors. Learn from Lara. Like if you learn from them you can grow sometimes past that wall that that trauma can put in place. I know I feel that way. Um, and, and I hope listeners who are, are hearing this will have that experience too.
1: The world is a complicated, um, deeply complicated, uh, beautiful and not in a hopefully romantic way. It's it's brutal. It's ugly. It's amazing. It's shitty, um, and it, everything that seems so simple to us, just like tomatoes being Mexican or, or Native American uh, in their their origin, right? Something that so seems so simple is not. And I think the best way to become more integrated into the world to become more open to learn more to be become smarter to become a better person to become more empathetic is to have a conversation um and yeah i think having to to read more to talk to more people to be more open and, and more empathetic i think that's that's what makes a a, a beautiful world um
0: I wanted to mention before we close out there's something that you did in your book that that to me was so so meaningful and I want our listeners to to hear about it so when they pick up your book they'll be like oh yes I want to support this as well um the Spanish language is very much broken up into masculine and feminine wording and and that is just the language itself it is not mm-hmm. necessarily about gender but that is the language one of the things that you wrote in your book is you 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 made sure to explain that you'll be using words that will carry yeah. these connotations, but you also specifically stated that this is not to indicate whatsoever that it invalidates no. your gender identity, At all. and you even went Actually, so far to to specifically state in your spellcraft when you are putting people's names or either pro- or any pronouns, you did that yes. throughout the whole any book.
2: gender any gender uh, identity is welcome, and you know when I mentioned the word brujos as plural, we don't mm-hmm. use you know the a even if it's one you know men we will use like brujos because that's how the language is it's not anti-feminism or anything or you know it's just how it is mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i try very hard to to put it like everybody's welcome you know it doesn't matter who it is what they believe their gender and their race uh you know anything is just you know it's a an open practice. It's not a closed practice. You don't need baptism. You don't need initiations. We, you don't need padrinos madrinas. I I just you know wanted to leave that clear too. Everybody's welcome. And um, th- you know, to be honest, um, we didn't have that that you know that thing with you know my closest ancestors. We the first like transgender who was famous in Mexico was actually my my uncle. And he has, like, history where he was, like, he inspired movies and everything. So there is no way I could, like, exclude anybody because I was cloning my own blood, my own family. So,
0: yes. The inclusivity was felt immediately. So I just wanted to commend you for that. I know a lot of our listeners will identify and and be so grateful that you did that. So thank you.
2: In Mexico right now, instead of the X, we're starting to use the E oh we don't use the x because it's like we cannot even pronounce it like writing the words so it's starting to beginning to instead of use latinx like latine like with an e Mm. so probably uh, for the next book that's what i'm going to do if i'm allowed because you guys know that sometimes you get over edited or the words doesn't match the same way because remember I'm I'm thinking in Spanish, but putting everything in English, and it's really really hard. So pro- probably that's what we're going to do. Because once I wanted to change for an E instead of an X, because it was even more comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, was like already like printing. So probably if you see an E instead of an X, that's what it means too. But it's everything like you know language issues and translations and oh my God, it's so hard. But yes, uh, you guys can feel like welcome and because you are.
1: Daphne, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, I wanted to know where people can find your book and how they can get in touch with you if they if, if you want them to um, yeah. <laughs> and if you so choose to. And yeah, tell us tell us uh, any final thoughts.
2: Well, um, you can find my book pretty much everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on, uh, online in Target, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. You can find it there. But please support your local botanicas. They need us to survive. They need us to bring business there. So if you can find it in a local esoteric or metaphysical shop, just much try to buy it there before a large corporation but if you cannot you can buy it anywhere else Um, you can find me on Instagram Daphne Lechicera on Twitter now in TikTok doing funny things (laughs) and that's it that's it Um, thank you so much for having me and I really appreciate you know this talk of
1: course (laughs)
2: Thank
0: well, you. thank thank you so much for being here. This is this has been such a wonderful interview. Getting to know you so much better. So uh, we're grateful to have you on the show.
2: Yes, thank you so much, guys.
0: You've been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on TikTok and uh, Instagram at at Witch of Southern Light. You can find me at Twitter at Marshall WSL. You can find my art and uh, 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 my merchandise on my Redbubble shop link in my bio of all my platforms. If you'd like to support me, ask questions, have sigils, join my Discord, you'll find my Patreon and the link on my bio as well.
1: And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. I will be speaking at the Botanica Obscura Conference coming up in March, the weekend of March 26. My lecture will be Hellish Fumes and Infernal Vapors botanical perfumes and aroma isolates and witchcraft and magic. Um, and of course, you can also find my womanly wares on my website, bayonetxbramble.com, um, as well as consultations that I do for divination um, and to take the witchcraft off ya. Um, <laughs> Daphne, thank you so much for being here. And um, can you tell us where everyone can find you?
2: Uh, Daphne Lechisera in Instagram tiktok and twitter
1: perfect thank you so much and um be sure to check out mexican sorcery a practical guide to brujeria de rancho by laura DeVilla, daphne la chisera before we begin i wanted to give a big thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring this episode josie the mountain troll pamela and c shaw thank
0: you all so much
1: Southern Bramble is a Patreon supported podcast. We wanted to thank each of our Patreon supporters by name. Witch Rafa, V, Tracy, Timothy, The Witcher Patapsco Forest, The Modern Babylon, The Lady Ghost, Shanna, Nathan, Lisa, Keith, Key, Johnny, John, Jens, Jennifer, Jennifer Squared, Jamisa, Giles, Florence, Cindy, Ariella, and Adity. Thank you all so, so much for your support.